Today, we're super excited to present to you the first podcast by WBN, Her Story. We're really thankful to our first guest, Anne Boring, who is a researcher focusing on gender equality and student evaluations. If you want to find out why do girls choose lower-ranked universities for exchange, or how did lockdown impact gender equality, listen further and let's hear her story. Could you first introduce yourself and uh, tell a bit about uh, your work and your life? Uh, so I'm Anne Boring. I'm assistant professor at uh, the, uh, Erasmus University at the Erasmus at the Erasmus School of Economics. Uh, I also head the Women in Business Chair at Sciences Po, and most of my research uh, relates to issues um, that broadly speak about discrimination, diversity, and um, what types of interventions can help to reduce discrimination in society in, at large. It's okay. quite a broad research agenda. <laughs> Great. And um, so you mentioned that you're head of the Women in Business. Um, you're the chair there. Uh, what is the main goal of the organization and uh, what does your position entail and your work there? So before joining Erasmus University, I worked at uh, Sciences Po and I was a postdoctoral researcher for a European project uh, that was called Effective Gender Equality in Research and the Academia. And um, following this project, we observed how at the university level, there were quite a few differences in, for instance, the choices that male and female students would make in their education. And one difference that we observed was in entrepreneurship. So we observed that um, male and female students were as interested in entrepreneurship, but so there in terms of interest and aspirations, we did not observe any types of differences. But once we uh, look at the other end of the entrepreneurial trail, then we saw that there was only a minority of female students compared to male students who actually started their business. So we started thinking with some colleagues at Sciences Po about so what, what, what's going on? Why is it that women are losing their interest in becoming entrepreneurs? And so we built this research program, which at first was really uh, centered around entrepreneurship and then led more broadly to gender inequalities in the workplace, because what we concluded uh, was that a lot of the inequalities that we observe in entrepreneurship are also or have the same sources as inequalities that we observe in the workplace in general. So it's a mix of discrimination, choices, preferences, social norms. There's a lot that's going on, stereotypes, of course that guide also decisions. Um, and the Women in Business Chair is a project that's, uh, whose goal is to try to figure out a little bit more what's going on and what are ways to solve it. And the other reason why this project was created is that uh, we observed that a lot of firms are interested in reducing inequalities in the workplace, but they don't necessarily know how to go about doing this and achieving this goal. Um, so the research that's conducted in the Women in Business Chair has as a goal to test solutions to see how gender inequalities can be reduced within organizations. Great. So uh, you focus on, on solutions and then how to tackle this problem. Uh, but also your uh, main work is uh, about researching the gender uh, equality and uh, how it uh, is in the workplace and the world and universities. And uh, when did you start researching this phenomenon and what inspired you to research it? 
So my, my PhD in economics was on a completely different topic. Um, it had to do with lobbying and trade. Um, but so what created the shift was um, um, an observation that I made while I was working uh, at Sciences Po towards the end of my PhD. So this was actually before my postdoc. Um, where I managed undergraduate courses in economics and mathematics. And part of my job was to read through students' evaluations of teaching and meet with instructors and teachers and professors and discuss their evaluations with them. And after reading a lot of them, I came to make this casual observation that it seemed to me that women were getting lower scores despite the fact, on average, Despite the, despite the fact that they were still seeming to be doing a very good job. So I wanted to explore um, this casual observation with my tools as an economist and as a researcher. Um, and that's when I started working on this postdoc project, so studying gender biases and student evaluations of teaching. And that really opened up a whole research agenda uh, because I did find that there were biases in the way that students evaluated instructors, at least in this context that I, that I was studying, and trying to figure out what the dynamics were, what the mechanics were, how do you reduce the impact of stereotypes in the way that biases are expressed, which can lead to discrimination. It's just a fascinating research agenda. Um, and then my, all my projects ended up being about uh, gender and discrimination. Um, so it's really interesting because we are students as well. And uh, if you could uh, summarize really quickly, why do we make all those uh, assumptions and uh, discrimination, even though Maybe we do not want to, or maybe we strive to be uh, as equal as we can. Yeah, I think one thing to, um, to acknowledge is that every single individual is biased. So we have biases, and biases are just a way to um, make shortcuts in our, in our decision-making that are based on assumptions that we make on an individual. So we, have, we form expectations. So for instance, uh, if you have a, a, a woman instructor versus a, a man as an instructor, then your expectations as to how this person is likely to behave or what am I expecting to learn from this person are probably going to be different. And this is done on a completely um, subconscious or unconscious level. Uh, so you don't realize it. But nonetheless, those mechanisms are there. And I think what's really interesting is when you start actually trying to uh, question your own biases, it's time consuming, it requires an effort, but it's also extremely interesting to do because then you can say, oh, actually, maybe my expectations were different. And um, so to give the example, for instance, for instructors, so there, 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 there is um, some expectations that, uh, for instance, maybe women are going to be more organized than men, right? This is a, a, a common stereotype um, that, that's, that pervades society and not just when we're thinking in terms of instructors. But if you're faced with a female instructor, then you might expect for her to be more organized than a male instructor. And if the male instructor is not really organized in the way he teaches, unless it's really catastrophic, you might be fine with it, and then you might not hold him accountable for it. But a female instructor, maybe you will, because you are expecting her to be more organized. Right? So it's these types of subtle differences that may play a role. Um, and in, it, it also depends, of course, of um, both who the, the stereotypes that uh, um, relates to a gender, but also the stereotypes that relates to a specific job. 
So is, you know, the, the, the I think this, this is really changing and the more there are women as full professors, um, this is definitely a stereotype that is changing. But for a long time, being a full professor was quite closely associated with male stereotypes. And therefore, if you wanted kind of to, you know, be viewed as being competent, it can be, it can be more difficult if, you, uh, if your identity doesn't correspond to the stereotype that is dominant in a given area. Um, so this is the type of research that, I'm, that I study. Yeah, and you mentioned this change in, uh, in the way that professors uh, are uh, becoming more aware of this, uh, of this phenomenon, also more women are present there. But uh, what is the general shift and changes you observed since you started um, studying uh, gender equality and the shift in research that has happened? And there's been a huge change over the past uh, five years, I would say. I started researching this topic about eight years ago. And at the time, I mean, there were some people doing research on it, but it was, it was not, um, there, I, I think we were still uh, not completely in a dynamic that showed the extent to which actually having the gender diversity in different positions and for instance within academia is extremely important but there are some research papers over the past five six years that really have made a difference um, there's some research for instance that shows that having role models of uh, you know, having a, women as role models in terms of uh, professors really matters to inspire young women to invest in a given field of study for instance and I think like having this type of research helps universities and helps to create change in order to actually, you know, generate um, uh, more diversity. And it also is encouraging for women to think, okay, I, I understand that these dynamics are going on and there are maybe some ways, you know, to change things. Um, this is the share that I can contribute to it. And I think that this is something that's quite interesting. Um, Something I've seen also with students is that when they learn of the dynamics that might happen in the workplace, there's, I think there's a little bit of a first phase that could be a type of discouragement of thinking, oh, maybe this is actually going to be harder for me when I engage. But once you're past that phase of discouragement, as long as you understand how the dynamics work, then you can figure out also a way uh, to make things work for you. And I think that's really encouraging. You can seek out mentors, you can seek out role models, find people you know, who, who inspire you and uh, who will give you the good advice and the good information so that you can build a career trajectory for yourself, one that fits with what you want to do, with your values. And knowing that this is something that you can also create for yourself is extremely important. That's, uh, that's really promising to, uh, to learn, uh, that we can uh, learn to function in this uh, system. Uh, but uh, what are also the uh, major interesting insights that you've gained from your research? I saw that uh, you started researching how gender norms perform in lockdown. That's uh, something really, really interesting. But uh, if you could uh, explain more about the insights about the dynamics of gender equ uh, equality. Yeah, so um, first, maybe to, to extend on what I was saying a little bit before, but also helps to answer your question. I think over the past few years, there's also been a, a shift in terms of not only what women can do in order to perform well in their careers, but also how organizations can change in order to make an environment much more friendly for women to evolve uh, and to also have um, 
um, you know, high potential career trajectories. And I think that's extremely important. Is the, the, the question is not only about what women can do, but also what organizations can do. And um, this, is a, this is really something, um, yeah, I, I think a strong change that's been occurring over the past five years. And this is very much research-based. Um, it's very much research-based and it's very much related to questioning uh, what types of norms are underlying the way that a given organization works or the way that society also works. And so the, the work that we're talking about um, is a joint with Gloria Moroni, uh, who's also a, a researcher at the, at the economics department at Erasmus. And so here what we wanted to do in this research was to try to see the extent to which the COVID lockdown measures, so our research actually uh, starts from the, the first lockdown in the spring of 2000. 20, um, and it was a, a, the, the data is about France, but it's something we want to see more broadly, is have these lockdown measures had any impact in um, beliefs and gender equal norms? If anything, we tend to see that it was more negative than positive, so having more individuals believing in more gen gender unequal norms. Um, but it's still, it, these are still results that we still want to, to develop much more. And the extent to which they last in the long run, I think, is also something that's very interesting. But one thing that I think one of the main conclusions of our research is to show how economic conditions have an impact on gender equality and beliefs in gender equal norms. And so if we want to generate, uh, this is my extrapolation of our research, but I, I do think that if we want to generate more gender equality in society, then we must pay very closely attention to issues of economic growth and economic opportunities in the labor market. And I think it's in this type of context that we can bring more women uh, to have you know, higher wages, uh, reach more leadership positions, uh, having more time also and more uh, resources so that um, they can organize their work lives and their personal lives um, and to also negotiate their, how they spend their time with their partners. So these are all very important issues and I think the discussion is really ongoing. And the current um, health crisis, the pandemic, uh, have been um, a major shock on the extent to which people can organize their lives. So I think one of the main problems right now or the main issues and sources of worry is that maybe women are, are you know, held back a little bit more on average than men currently and this may ha might have long-term consequences for their careers. It's really impressive that uh, you started working on this research so early because uh, when it all started we were kind of uh, hoping it would be uh, ending so soon but uh, uh, it's really great that you started researching. Yes, it's really great that you started researching it because uh, it turned out to be a major major shift in the world. So you also said that, that women are held back a bit uh, in, in their careers and choices. And another uh, research question that uh, I found in your work was why is that women are less likely to study in fields that lead to high paying jobs? So why, why are we as students, uh, as women, not choosing the fields that uh, lead to, uh, high, um, to high earnings? So I'm going to give you an answer um, that relates to the state of the literature right now, but I think there's still much more research to be done on this topic. Um, 
when students make their choices, they make their choices without being fully informed. And I think that when you make your, your choices for higher education, you have several elements in mind. So of course, students are interested in getting a good job and having studies that will lead them to um, good labor market opportunities. But I think that when you make your choice as to what type of field you should actually um, choose for your, for your studies, students don't necessarily know to what extent does this track lead to good labor market opportunities or not. So I think there's some informational problem that is that you don't necessarily know what are going to be the consequences of your choice. Um, the, um, the, the other reason why you might want to study a given track is because you think of what was I good at in high school um, and what are my tastes or my current aspirations. And the thing is that these tend to change over the course of a lifetime, but when you make a decision at a given time period, those decisions can also be guided partly by stereotypes. And we see that gender stereotypes can, for instance, lead men to choose more tracks related to mathematics or what we call the STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, women more towards the social sciences or humanities. Um, and the thing is, is that these different tracks lead to very different labor market outcomes. So here too, questioning the extent to which is it really stereotypes that are guiding me to choose a given track versus another track, I think is a, is a question that should be asked by every student. This is a, an exercise to do for oneself uh, when you're making such an important choice. The other thing is that there is, um, there, there, there is an increasing race between technology and education. And for the time being at least, there are some tracks that are really favored by the labor market and others that are really not. Things can change, of course, but we have seen this shift over the course of the past maybe 20 years where you have more and more people getting higher education and the competition on the labor market following uh, graduation is becoming tougher be between young graduates. And so having more technical skills, at least for the time being, uh, that they will learn through science or math, for instance, tend to be more valuable. But that doesn't necessarily mean that if you do another track, you're not going to get a good job. That's, of course, not true either. You can still get good jobs. Good for uh, me. I study marketing. So uh, that there's still hope. <laughs> yes, there's, there's hope. But I think it, it's important to really inform yourself as to what are the actual outcomes of different career tracks. At least that's, that's, my, um, that's my opinion. I'm... I'm, I'm of course, I, I'm a labor economist, right? So as a labor economist, I do think that making choices that guide you to good opportunities on the labor market are extremely important. I also hear opposition from people who say, no, you know, higher education, it's the one and unique time for you to explore your intellectual interests. I fully agree with that as well. But again, it's for, I think here, it's just making an informed choice is really what matters the most. So uh, questioning what do we do every step that we take? Yes, yeah, I think it's a good exercise. It, it is a good exercise. And uh, one other uh, thing I read in your papers, and it was so interesting to me, it was uh, when we uh, are going on exchange as students, uh, women tend to choose uh, universities that are below our capabilities. So we could choose a university that's uh, on a higher rank. And men uh, tend to choose a university that's 
above their capabilities, so a, a bit challenging for them. But the really interesting outcome was that it's kind of bad for both of us, so both for women and for men. So it's really interesting that uh, reducing gender inequality uh, is actually beneficial for both of us. Yes. So here also, I, uh, just to nuance a little bit what you're saying, um, mm -hmm. it, it depends if you're looking on average and how you measure well-being and, you know, better off or worse off. So what we do in this research, this is with um, Jen Brown, who's at the University of Utah. We look at student choices for a third year abroad program and we find, so it's hard to say who's going above their capacity or below their capacity. The only thing we can really say is that um, amongst the top students, especially, female students tend to ask for universities that are lower ranked than male students who are of the same academic ability as them. So the question is why? And our main uh, result is that um, we, so th this is, this is, um, this is a, a, a possible mechanism at least, that male and female students' uh, choices are, or preferences are different. We find that women are, as ambitious as men academically, but they have a broader set of interests. Whereas you have one group of men who are really focused on academic ambition and professional ambition, and that's pretty much it. I'm, I'm a little bit stereotyping and, you know, just like I'm really summarizing our results, but this is, this is uh, a dynamic that we're observing in our data. And what's interesting in terms of these results is that um, because the women are asking for some lower ranked uh, universities compared to their own academic ability, that means that the, the male students who are asking for top universities, they tend to get them because they're not really facing much competition for the universities they're asking for. But then the a little bit lower uh, ability students, male students, they start, they're competing against female students of higher ability, so they lose some spots. So this is what we're saying in terms of better off or worse off. It's in terms of obtaining the choices that you would like to have for your third year abroad. It's in a very um, specific context where students compete for spots at different universities. Um, but um, yeah, so I, 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 I think that you, when, when you see these types of choices that happen kind of within a given market, because you could view the, these choices within a university as being a type of market, um, or you, the dynamics are, they do relate to competition, they relate to taste to competition, but they also relate to what you're interested in in a given period of time. And that also lead to interesting long-term consequences. Um, here, one thing that I find um, that, that could be an interesting um, thing to test would be if you tell, you know, uh, women that, or, or, or men, uh, give them an idea of what type of university they could really go to, given their academic ability, that might actually nudge some students to make different choices than the one they're doing now. But it's really hard to, um, and, I, and I'm a little bit reluctant to intervene too much in choices, of course, because it's, we as researchers can't tell, you know, you as a student, this would be better for you or this wouldn't be better for you. So yeah, it's a, these are, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, so it kind of leads into another question of uh, because uh, it's always this question if we as individuals should uh, do the work for gender equality. So maybe if uh, in this instance as women we should think okay, 
I will do the work, I will risk it, I will take the higher ranked university? Or is it the um, big system that needs to change? Or is it like a systematic change that within the universities and workplaces, the organizations have to be conscious of the problem and work for it? I, my answer to that question is both. Um, when, because you as a student, you're, you're, when you're making a decision, you're thinking, I think it's important to think in terms of your own outcomes and what you can do now that will help you reach the goals that you're setting for yourself, given the environment in which you're in. The goal of a consensus uh, university and or organization is to make sure that that environment is not somehow being or generating some mechanisms that are to a disadvantage to a given group and that don't relate to what individuals are actually doing. So I think it's, it, it really has to come from both. But I, I strongly believe that as individuals, we have you know, the, the, the power to try to do our best to understand how our organization works, uh, a little bit what are the rules of the games, and how do I evolve in this system, given the way it is, given the way it might change, and hopefully it will change for, you know, it will improve, um, but in order to nonetheless uh, reach the goals that I'm setting for myself. So uh, the main uh, advice would be to uh, to do your best to make the most conscious choice within the environment. But what are the other suggestions and maybe advice you would have for young females entering the workforce now? So the, the first thing to think about would be to think of your career trajectories and try to establish as early as possible what type of strategies would enable you to reach your goals? And you can, and especially when you're starting early, it's good to observe everything that's going on, but it's, I think it's good to start, you know, asking around people, you know, uh, what, what did you do? Um, what do you think is a good way to evolve in the system? Finding mentors is extremely important to avoid doing some of the, or to avoid some of the pitfalls that you might fall into early on in your career. What we see is that when young graduates start on the labor market, there are some small gender differences already at the start of your careers, but they're really small. But then they tend to grow. And the extent to which they grow depends partly on how much information you, or this is actually, this is my belief, this is not research-based, but this is uh, something I've observed. Um, I think it depends a lot on the type of information you manage to gather early on in your careers. Um, what I've observed a lot with young graduates, and I think it applies to myself as well, is that when you start your career, you are, you might be a little bit, um, still working in the same mode as you were when you were in higher education. So in higher education, the rules of the game are pretty well known. If you want to go from one year to the next, you study hard, you get good grades, you pass. The grades are your signals of your academic ability. They speak for yourself. And then, then you, you know, if you apply to a new university for a master's degree, for instance, um, then it's based on your grades, what you write in your motivation letter, uh, the recommendations that you get from your professors, et cetera, your past experiences. So there's a lot there that kind of speaks for yourself. When you're actually starting to work in an organization, you don't have such clear signals that are actually speaking for you. 
you don't have grades really anymore. You might have performance evaluations, but still, even those per performance evaluations can become much more subjective than what you had when you were at school. So understanding how to, um, basically what are the new rules of this game you're playing is really important. And I think you can actually get a lot of fun out of figuring out how these rules work. But figuring those, the, these rules, they depend on industries, on types of occupations. Um, there, I think it's really by, by finding mentors. That, that's, that's the best way to uh, figure out how things work. This is something I've done in my career, going to mentoring workshops. And this has been a huge help in terms of you know, knowing things that can be done to get your work known, for instance. Um, what are mistakes that people tend to do, whether it's men or women? Um, I, I think a lot of the mistakes that people do can apply to both men and women. This is not something that's gender specific. But I do think that women have, especially in male-dominated fields, have fewer natural mentors than men may have. So they really need to seek them out. And what would be the, the advice when you enter a male-dominated field? So uh, when the environment is kind of fostered to you from the beginning. So you, basically, if you're, if you're entering in a more male-dominated field, you, you, I, I, here my, my main advice would be to try to find any mentor, whether male or female, and not try to think in terms of gender. Mm -hmm. um, another advice I would tend to give, but I think that's true of any work environment, um, is to maybe apply some advice that um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was the, um, well, she, she, she passed away last year, but she was uh, on the U.S. Supreme Court. It was advice that was given to her by her mother-in-law when she got married, which was something along the lines of, in every good marriage, sometimes it's good to be a little deaf. <laughs> and I think, and she said it as well, and I think it's true that this is also something that applies in the workplace. Um, so when you're working, you can get your you can get dragged down into some conflicts and you can um you know find yourself in situations that you might become angry or uh you know some things that are um yeah uh, that, that basically will prevent you from doing a good job just because it takes some of your energy away from it i think those are good to ignore on the other hand there are, of course, other things that you really must pay attention to, and that being deaf sometimes does not, does not mean at all being deaf all the times. And there are some situations that are not, uh, you know, that are just not working out for you or that are not acceptable at all. So here I'm thinking more in terms of situations of harassment. Um, making clear, and here I think organizations are working very strongly on, the, on this uh, topic, making clear that harassment is not something that's acceptable in the workplace anymore. Um, this is a huge task of organizations and working with organizations to make sure that these types of situations don't happen and are not accepted. Um, this is something that is, uh, that, that is very important. And then finally, I think it's also important to think in terms of, you know, what will continue to make me grow? Um, and sometimes it might be good also just to change tracks, change uh, organizations if you think that you are not evolving in a way that is fitting with your, with your ambitions. Um, so yeah, being, being open to change. I think this would be my other advice. And uh, that's a lot of, a lot of great advice. 
Um, and how can we as Erasmus students uh, work on gender equality and uh, how can we achieve uh, some of our goals and also maybe how can we pressure the system to change? That's a very good question. Um, one thing that's, I, I think that one thing that the university is very interested in is what is the student's experience of their academic life at the university. So getting information from the organizational, uh, from the organization, organization's perspective on how things are going for you as a student, as a woman student at the university, this is something that's really important. The organization that you're doing now, I think is, uh, it, it really also um, is a step in that direction, right? By organizing your work together, you can also solicit and kind of provide this information to the organization to say, you know, we've observed that in this, in this context, there's this thing that has been going on. Can we discuss it and see if something can be done? I also think that there, it's important to um, try to, um, you know, create change, but to understand that change takes time. And um, if you also want to create change, then change also needs to, you know, have people be on board with you and there it's, it's, it's important to try to see everyone's points of views. Um, so I think that's organizing a collective change, understanding how gender equality or just reducing discrimination in general or reducing how stereotypes can lead to uh, some bad decisions being made. I think that's extremely important for absolutely everyone on campus. But figuring out exactly where discrimination is taking place, that becomes very complicated. And we're seeing right now some, some societal debates where it's not always obvious, uh, you know, which, um, what types of situations are really problematic or not. Um, are stereotypes always bad? So, I mean, the, you have some really interesting questions um, there that, are, that, that, that also need to be thought out. Uh, and I think that collectively, and for uh, you as an organization, I think these are interesting questions to to cover, and they're fun to think about. <laughs> On topic of questions, I have two final questions to wrap okay. from the conversation. Uh, so, first one is: uh, Do you have a role model? So, you talk about mentors, and uh, who would you think is uh, a role model for you? Um, so, I would. I, I, I think. Um, I have several, um, some that are more or less anonymous. Um, in, uh, in the non-anonymous role models, I, I, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is one of my role models uh, for several reasons. First, she was a pioneer uh, for women and reaching the Supreme Court was, a, was an extraordinary accomplishment of hers. Um, she was also extremely determined throughout her life. She kept her goals uh, clear. Um, she wanted to advance uh, equality in society in general, but she also was very much uh, open to discussing with people who, with whom she disagreed with. And I think this is extremely important, is that there's not just one way of reaching equality. I think that really what she's accomplished, she's also accomplished it thanks to the opposition that she was able to discuss with. Um, 
So I think I, I like this, this state of mind. And maybe I'm, I'm also projecting a little bit on her life, uh, things that I would like to, 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 to achieve myself. But I think this is, a, this is something that's very important. But in general, the, the types of, uh, of um, men or women who are role models for me are individuals who promoted um, equality, but also liberty. Uh, so freedom, individual freedom is something that I really care about. Um, and also who understand that having, you know, uh, debates and uh, opposition is not necessarily that something that's bad. It's actually something that helps you think better. I think those are values that I really want to defend myself. And uh, last question, do you have a motiva motivational quote or a phrase that inspires you anytime you think of it? Um, so there's this quote that I mentioned earlier of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, I, she, she has quite a few. There's another one that I do like of hers, uh, which is that real change um, tends to happen one step at a time, one step at a time. And this is something that I that I find is very interesting. Um, that it's important to think in terms of you know let, let's go slow, let's bring everyone on board. Um, also question my own beliefs, and I I, I really like that um, that way of thinking. Yeah. Okay, great conversation. Uh, I uh, just like having this interview opened my eyes to, to many different perspectives uh, and uh, it will definitely be a point for reflection further on, for me at least. And uh, thank you so much for agreeing to meet with us. This was the first episode of WBN Podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you did, please let us know on social media. And we'll hear each other very soon.